Welcome to South Shore Piano, the official podcast of the South Shore Piano School. I'm your host, Jonathan Roberts. And on this podcast, we talk with students, parents, teachers, and other leaders in the arts to find out exactly how music education and the arts are changing lives every day. I'm thrilled to have as my guest today, Janet Lipinski. Janet is the Senior Director of Academic Programs at the Royal Conservatory of Music in Toronto, Canada, and one of the architects behind the Royal Conservatory of Music Certificate Program, which we've had dozens of students involved with over the years, and I have the honor of serving as an examiner for. Now, for our listeners who have absolutely no idea what that is, I'll try to sum it up in a few sentences. In school, we have grades. We have first grade, second grade, third grade. In karate, we have belts, white belt, orange belt, purple belt. I don't even know if I have the order right on that. But it's not a be-all, end-all, but we have some sense of where people are in this little hierarchy. The Royal Conservatory uh, Certificate Program serves this need for the music community. We have levels. uh, For piano, we have A, B, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Students pick a level they want to prepare for, they choose some pieces off of a syllabus, prepare some scales, some ear training, sight reading, and then they go and perform for an examiner, all of these things. They get comments, a written report, and then we get to use that as teachers to get a snapshot of where they are in their journey to, so that we can plan the next steps forward. It's been a huge pleasure to teach and work with this program uh, over the years. We've seen major positive change and inspiration and growth with our students as they work from level to level. We have some students that started way back at level A. They're now working towards their level seven, level eight. Uh, Truly inspiring stuff. And as an examiner, I've gotten to work with Janet on a number of occasions on some different projects. And um, I'm just thrilled to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today, Janet. Well, thank you for inviting me, and I'm really looking forward to our chat today. Absolutely. So I would love to start by going all the way back to the beginning. Young Janet, how you got involved in music, some of your earliest memories, and what that was like for you. Absolutely. Well, I was born in St. Catharines, Ontario, which is actually uh, not far from Niagara Falls, very close to the uh, Buffalo border crossing. So in my childhood, made a lot of trips across the river for shopping and ice cream and pizza and all kinds of other things um, back in the days where children didn't have to have passports. Anyway, my parents um, had come to Canada um, just after the Second World War. Um, Their childhoods were disrupted um, by the war, so neither of them had formal music lessons, and um, it was a high priority for them to provide music lessons for their children. As, as immigrants. And um, first of all, even before the music lessons, singing was a very important part of my family life. My parents ah. both loved to sing um, hymns, Christmas carols, Polish folk songs, patriotic songs in the car, in the living room. There was a lot of singing going on in my house. And I remember that very fondly. And it's something that I also did with my own children. Um, So when the time came for my older sister to start piano lessons, she was 17 months older than me. She was six. The piano was purchased. It was in the living room. She was pranced down the street to the local piano teacher. And I wanted to do everything my older sister did. (laughs) So uh, I think my parents, after a couple of weeks of watching me follow her practicing routine, decided that maybe they should sign me up for lessons as well. So I started my lessons uh, with level four with Mrs. Campbell down the street and at the age of four with Mrs. Campbell down the street and she was an RCM teacher. So before long, um, both my sister and I were 
signed up for exams and uh, that's where the formal part of the training began. I love that. So that initial exposure to music through just kind of singing around the house and then seeing your older sister that inspired you as a child to want to be in on the action too. Absolutely. And I should also mention that my mom loved classical music and often had um, the classical radio station playing. I remember uh, the Met broadcasts um, on Saturday afternoons of the operas that I heard for the first time as a child. So though neither of my parents were professional musicians, they were really music lovers. And it was an important part of, of, of the, um, just, just the family life, which was great. And I should say that one of the things that always um, was the most interesting to me as a, as a child and probably still as an adult was reading a lot of different music, maybe ah. more so even than polishing and finessing one or two particular pieces. So an event that I really remember vividly from my childhood, I must have been about 10, um, was that one of my parents' Polish friends gifted to our family because my sister and I were taking music, believe it or not, the complete works of Chopin the oh, old wow. Paderewski editions. It was so far beyond me, but being able to put my hands on that music, I remember reading through the waltzes, the nocturnes, the mazurkas at a very, very early stage in my development when they were you know, really far too difficult for me to play with any level of polish or finesse. And it wasn't something I took to my teacher, but I just <laughs> remember reading through them all systematically and, and loving that. Um, just, just being able to explore, like reading a book, uh, music. And, and I, I think the reason I was able to do that was um, to a large extent because of the fact that my teacher was an RCM teacher and was um, presenting music to me, not just as you know, learning one or two party pieces or competition pieces, but she was stressing the reading and the theory and the listening. And um, that gave me the skills to do that and also to play with other people. I always play duets with my sister. Um, and if you've had siblings who play duets, you could probably imagine some of what that was like. <laughs> Love-hate relationship kind of a thing. <laughs> Absolutely. But every year, you know, by the time we, we used to go in the Peel Music Festival and play a duet every year. And uh, by the time it was near the end, my mother would say, this is the last time. But then <laughs> off we'd go, we'd win our little medal and we'd start planning what we're going to play next year. <laughs> so that was always a part of it. And very early on, I started playing for singers. Um, one of my piano teachers' husband was a voice teacher and he uh, had me you know, as still as, as a fairly um, young piano student playing for some of his students. Sometimes I accompanied my school musicals in, in middle school and in high school. And so um, along with my own um, developing of my own piano playing, there was always a lot of this kind of joyful, interactive music making. That's so wonderful. Those are some really cool stories. One thing I forgot to mention when I was initially talking about the program is that Canada's had this for generations and generations. It's basically like, I think one of my Canadian friends said that everybody in Canada knows hockey and RCM. Those are two things that everybody knows. You can go in any coffee shop, mention RCM. Whereas in the United States, we've had this for about 20 years or so. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, what, what was it like? So you started lessons when you were four, you said, and then you started sort of right in with the examination program, if I understand that right. Do you remember what your first exam was like? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> it was, uh, 
it was level one. I don't think there was an introductory or preparatory exam then. And uh, we still lived in St. Catharines. My family moved to Mississauga when I was seven. So I must have been um, under seven. And it was in a church. And I remember walking down these stairs. It wasn't in the church, in the sanctuary. It was in the church basement. I remember walking down these stairs and it seemed very dark. And my examiner uh, seemed to be sitting behind a desk sort of in a dark corner. And um, I, I always say we're, we're such a different, we're a kinder, gentler RCM now because we're, we, we, we uh, as examiners, as you know, make all sorts of effort to make students feel comfortable and to welcome them. And um, part of the drill is we get up and come to the door and say, welcome. And we try to make it a pleasant um, experience. And I don't think in the 1960s, that was really the case. An exam was an exam. Um, And um, I'm very excited about the transformation that's occurred now where we really uh, try and succeed, um, I think, in, in most cases, to make the exam be a very pleasant, joyful, celebratory experience. Absolutely. So how did, do you remember what your score was on that first one? Um, well, <laughs> put you on the spot. <laughs> it's not that I really remember, but my parents saved everything. And I recently came across a, a box of uh, of, of all of them. And they looked a little different than um, the reports were, were small and they had a color code for each level. And uh, my marks were generally uh, in the 80s. Um, and uh, there was sort of a progressive growth, I would say, which is one of the things that um, I look at now through through the eyes of uh, my, my current situation as a, as a teacher and as, as, as the director of academic director of the uh, program, I I think that um, the fact that as my interest in music grew and my level of commitment grew, it was nice to see those marks rising um, to the point that um, by the time I did my ARCT diploma, I was actually the gold medalist um, that Uh year in Canada. And so uh, that mark was 94 at that, at that stage and 94 was, was a gold medal mark. Um, So um, yeah, it's it's interesting to look back on the uh, the uh, quality of the feedback that was given then and now. Of course, the exam reports were handwritten then, and now they're typed, um, which means that they um, maybe are are a little easier to read in all cases. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, it's interesting to look back on all of that and uh, to reflect on how important um, the the exam program was um, for my parents who weren't musicians to be able to see um, my progress and to to, um, probably uh, understand when I started to express an interest in music as a career track and as my real, you know, my, my, my life pursuit, um, they were able to, to uh, understand that, that there was some basis upon which they could believe that I might succeed, um, which I think is important. I think they were also able to evaluate uh, the teaching that I was getting through the feedback that was coming. And uh, on several occasions, the, the feedback that I received um, was not just meaningful and helpful, but really transformative in terms of, you know, giving me some ideas of things that maybe I should be doing or that, that I could be doing um, to enrich and uh, refine my, my work and preparations for the next exam. Absolutely. I love 
what you said about your parents, how it sort of gave them a basis and it showed them that you were headed on a, on a good track. I feel like one of the greatest values of this program often sort of unstated is the value for parents to be able to validate the teacher's teaching. Because without, without this, I mean, we have our method books and we can use repertoire and stuff like that. But aside from that, there's sort of this gray, <clears throat> excuse me, there's this sort of gray area of like, are we progressing? Are we not? And then we've all, with students over the years, had situations with parents where the kid's doing exceptionally well and mom and dad pull them out because they think they're not without much of a base, <laughs> without much of a basis. For sure. For, um, for sure. <clears throat> For sure. And I have two, two other quick stories. Um, one is that on my grade nine um, res results, and I, I remember this vividly, and I used this for many years with my own piano students preparing for exams. I got a mark in the high 80s, and that was a year where I hadn't practiced my technical tests as much as I should have. Um, my teacher didn't really emphasize it. She sort of left it to me. And I was having much more fun just reading music and polishing my pieces. So I had neglected that. And um, the mark, it probably made the difference of why I didn't reach a 90 on that exam. And um, the examiner wrote at the very end of the report, how can such a gifted girl neglect the technical portion of her exam? question mark <laughs> <I love it laughs> and you know i'll tell you for my level 10 i worked a lot harder at my technical tests <laughs> so that was cool and the other thing i wanted to mention is uh you know we're talking about 1960s and 1970s when i was doing these exams um long before any of us had computers in our home or right uh, internet connections so the results arrived in a little envelope and they came in the mail and you know i remember them coming in the summer and i remember waiting for those results and going to the mailbox to check the mail and and with my other friends who were taking music lessons as well calling each other did you get yours yet oh yeah got mine today oh maybe i'll get mine tomorrow and it was a really sort of uh there was a suspenseful thing of waiting for those results to arrive in the mail now we get them a little bit faster and in a different form but um that was one of my memories those are the memories that live forever right absolutely <laughs> so i'm curious as you're gr growing up through this program yourself it sounds like for the most part you were going after it year after year sort of a thing um and sometimes we find that some students push through and they're really inspired to if they get if they score low on on one portion of the exam, they'll push through and say, OK, I'm going to dominate the next go around. And we have the flip side where some will get you know discouraged and just not want to do it, <laughs> just not want to do it anymore. Uh, how do you feel like you tackled those challenges, if you remember any of that? Um, do you feel like it was just sort of in your personality to like just power through and this was just the, the thing you did and now it's next year. Now it's time for the next exam. Or is there more more behind that? No, I think that was it. I think that was it combined with um, parents who had a very, my parents had a um, very positive and loving, but very firm work ethic. There were certain yes. things that if you were doing them, you did them. And, and there was that. There was also the fact that my older sister was, you know, just one grade ahead of me. And I uh, was always kind of <laughs> motivated to uh, be able to, to keep that, um, and then there was the year that we were both in grade 10 at the same time. And that was about the point where she had decided that, you know, she was going to, uh, she, she's, she's now a successful lawyer. 
Oh, and okay. uh, she was maybe turning to academic pursuits more. And so uh, that was the point at which she stopped at level 10. So I, I'm sure there were other reasons too that were more intrinsic, but certainly my parents, the structure in my family of my parents and my sister doing it, it was sort of, it was assumed, just like you mentioned earlier, you know, you, you, you assume in school, you're going to finish fourth grade and go on to right. fifth grade. And it was kind of like that with piano as well. Mm -hmm. I also had a friend one year um, in school who had kind of inched ahead of me and I really wanted to catch up to her and I worked really hard that year. So there was a bit of that kind of healthy motivation and really an eagerness, I would say, a, a, a really eagerness to go on and learn the music of the next level because I would have been hearing my sister playing it in the house. And um, yes. certainly as a teacher, I found um, when I have when, when I've had over the years, multiple family members and there's the older siblings that tends to really encourage and inspire the younger ones who say, oh, when I get to level six, I want to play that piece as well. And one other interesting thing in the mix that I should mention is that uh, besides my older sister, I also had a younger brother oh, and okay. um, he signed up he was signed up for piano lessons at a certain age. Um, he's four years younger than me. He was probably six or seven when he was signed up. And by that time, I was always really, already really into it. And um, he was, I was very close with my brother, still am. And I was often helping him with his practicing. So he was oh. my, uh, he was really my first student. He was my guinea pig. And at a certain point in time, I remember, I think I was 11 or 12. My parents said, you know, I think you should just be Greg's teacher. <laughs> and I think they paid me whatever, a dollar or 50 cents or something, whatever it was in those days to do that. And, and uh, I became his teacher. And the next thing, you know, word got around the neighborhood that there was a, a young teacher, um, a teenager who was, was, was teaching kids. Um, and suddenly I had uh, an afternoon or two of worth of students from the neighborhood um, who I taught in my parents' living room. So that was how I, I got into teaching, um, also using the RCM program. That's so wonderful. Did you ever have any idea during those years you'd be one of the people running the program? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. But I did always dream of being an examiner. <laughs> Very cool. So, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you remember that moment where you decided that music was going to be your career as opposed to going in another direction or what sort of inspired you to say, okay, this is, this is going to be my career track. Um, you know, I think, I think by the time I was 11 or 12, um, music was the thing, you know, I, I looked forward to coming home from school to sit and play at the piano. And, and I say play because, when I think of what I did when I was at the piano, it was more playing than really practicing. I think I didn't really learn to practice until much later, <laughs> but I, I loved playing the piano and I, I, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I used to uh, think I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher when I was, when I was little. Um, and, and I, I sort of, there was a point at which that came together. I think actually teaching my brother was one of those moments where I was like, I love doing this. This is so cool. And, and, um, I think at that point, I knew that I I, uh, I knew that I wanted to have music as a central focus, and I didn't maybe I didn't maybe know entirely how that would play out and what I'd be doing, but but teaching and music were two very very important um, very important components that I, I I imagined would become what I do when I grow up. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then moving ahead in the timeline, you go to school like we all do and get your degrees and all that stuff. And then how did you how did you end up connecting with RCM to end up on on this path you're on now? Well, um, when I was in Cincinnati, because I did my both my master's and my doctorate, I did my undergraduate degree, first of all, I should say at the University of Toronto, mm -hmm. faculty of music, I still lived at home, I still had my students, I commuted, I, I was teaching and I was in a performance um, degree, I did a lot of chamber music then and I sort of thought that was going to be the focus combined with teaching. And then um, one summer I went to summer program where I met um, Bella Shiki, who was then at the University of Cincinnati CCM. And I went there to do my master's with him. And while I was there, I was um, a TA for secondary piano and theory um, at different times. Okay. The theory was important in kind of getting me, me into that theory teaching headspace. And it certainly informed my work um, that followed when I returned to Canada. Um, but when I was teaching secondary piano, and besides the class piano, we all had, you know, private students who were non-piano majors. Right. And I had my little RCM syllabus with me and my graded books. And uh, I always kind of would slot a student into, uh, you know, a level. And lo and behold, there would be all the music they'd need for a year. And all of my friends would be like, how do you pick your repertoire, you know, other pianists who were in the master's program, just as, just as accomplished as pianists as me, but who maybe didn't have that structure. And, you know, that was in the early eighties. Um, the Willis music store didn't carry RCM music in, right. in uh, Cincinnati yet, but I remember coming home and always stocking up and bringing it back and, and sharing those graded books with some of my friends. And it's interesting that Cincinnati was one of the first places later where the program um, re has really taken off in the last 20 or 30 years. Um, but in any case, I was using it then and then when I finished, when I was getting close to finishing my, my doctorate, I was thinking about coming back to Canada to be closer to my family. I started doing the usual job applications everywhere. And one of the places that I, I applied was the Royal Conservatory. I, I uh, it was sort of my first choice because I really loved the idea of being close to my family and being back in Toronto. And and I was hired to teach um, in 1988. That was when I started my teaching. And for uh, the first 25 years or so, I was mostly teaching, though also examining. Um, I was chief examiner for theory for a while. Um, my teaching included a combination of piano and history and theory. Um, with a large portion of the history and theory teaching being in the uh, in the Taylor Academy, which was then called something a little different, but it was the program that grew into the Taylor Academy and the Glenn Gould School, as well as the Conservatory School. So it was always an interesting cross section. Um, I did the examiner training course, started examining first for theory, then for piano a little later. Um, because by then I had children, so it was nice to do theory examining, which I could do at home. Yes. And um, one thing led to another, and for the past, um, I guess, seven years now, I've been in this full-time administrative position. That's so interesting to follow your your journey from the young four-year-old doing her first examination to where you are now. So inspiring. I often say that the examination program changes students. It certainly changed me as a teacher for the better. It's challenged me as a teacher. It's given me goals to work towards with my students. 
How do you feel like being involved with the program essentially for your entire life? How do you feel like, uh, especially in this role that you're in now, how do you feel like maybe that's changed you as a teacher, as an educator, as an influencer? Oh, that's a really good question. And, you know, it's it's so much a part of the way that 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 I think about teaching that even students who've come to me and who have said, you know, either because they're adults or parents who say, you know, exams were too stressful for me as a child. I don't want my child taking exams. And I kind of smile knowingly and say, OK, but, you know, often those same parents within a, a couple of months would see how the ones who were working towards exams were more you know, motivated, or they'd see right. the student who in the studio class played most beautifully and would say, oh, you know, <laughs> talk to the parents and say, how do you get your child to practice? Well, guess what? Um, <laughs> but I did want to add to that, that another influence with the program, another hat I've worn um, has been, you know, of course, my student hat, my young teacher hat, um, but also a parent hat, because I had both of my both of my children, I have a son and a daughter, and both of them worked through the RCM program at different stages of their, um, th their childhood and in different ways. And both have ended up following um, a track, a career track in music. So it's and certainly as a parent, I, I have to say, and you'll appreciate this, I think, Jonathan, um, the first time I took my daughter to her first exam, and my, my children both have um, their father's last name, not mine, and uh, I so I was able to uh, kind of discreetly come in not with, without a center rep immediately um, recognizing my last name when I was already chief examiner during the time when my students, my children were taking their exams. So um, I could sneak into the, the waiting room and see what was going on in the waiting room. And I said at that point, I think every examiner should have to spend 20 minutes in a waiting room as part of their professional development <laughs> to see what's going on in those waiting rooms. Because sometimes, you know, you would see parents who were projecting their own anxiety onto their children and you'd see other parents who were just being, you know, very relaxed and um, encouraging their, their, their kids to relax and have fun and enjoy themselves and others who were, uh, drilling what are the notes of the scale of f-sharp minor <laughs> at the last minute and it's very interesting to see that and so i i think that um following the program as a parent also informed um both my understanding of it and my appreciation for it um, but getting back to the question you asked if, if I had to pin it down to one thing, I would say it's the structure. I started to say that over the years when I've had students who've said they don't want to do exams, inevitably, the way that I teach or the way that I advise other parents or, or young professionals, um, when you think about the structure of our program, which involves not just learning to play repertoire, but to support it through um, developing musicianship skills, through developing music literacy, through studying theory, right. through building um, the technical skills methodically and with um, the component of understanding keys and patterns. So the integration of the theory and the integration of all those skills together um, in a beautifully sequenced following beautifully sequenced path, I would say that that um, 
even when I teach somebody who is outside of the program for whatever reason, that way of thinking of integration and balance in um, making sure all the areas of skill development are progressively developing is, is, is a very, very important um, part of, of the way I teach at any level. I love it. I love all of it. So we've been in a global crisis for about 13 months now. I guess even though hopefully the light's at the end of the tunnel, I think it's still classified as a crisis. The coronavirus pandemic when everything went virtual, including the examination process. Could you speak a little bit about how you guys managed that? Because it was basically like a one month we're you know planning on our, our, our trips for examining, then the next month we're all going online. It was a, an astoundingly fast transition. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, so I, I'll start from a personal perspective that, um, you know, we read about people uh, making lemonade out of lemons all the time, people who are found in a difficult situation and they uh, make the best of it. I think of my right. parents who uh, both their families during the Second World War were, were moved from their homes. They were in a displaced persons camp in Germany before they emigrated to Canada as young people. And the way my parents spoke about those years, there was always this sense of, you know, even, even joy that they found in that situation of being with other people. That's how my, my father's family met my mother's family, ultimately, um, you know, leading to their, their marriage. Um, a lot of their friends were in that same situation. And in retrospect, they looked back on it as a situation that had been, you know, a, a horrible tragedy for their families, but they made the most of it. And they ended up coming to Canada and, and, and living here very happily. And um, as, as a child and a young person, I always thought, and certainly as a young parent, I always thought how lucky we are that we haven't had to live through that kind of a crisis. And I would say that in my own life, um, probably the pandemic has been the biggest, you know, serious crisis where, where people around us were affected and, and, and dying and businesses were closing um, and, and we had to take these extreme measures. So I think overall, um, Many of us this past year have been uh, in a position where we we you know we can either lie down and cry or we make um, <laughs> lemonade out of lemons. And right. and personally for me, it's been an incredible experience of you know becoming more more aware of technology, becoming more aware of all the things we can do from our homes without leaving our homes when we have to, um, teaching and holding. Um, meetings and and interviews like this remotely right. has become second nature, and I think that's that's been amazing for all of us. Um, for the RCM, we had already been planning um, remote exams; they were already in the works. That's partly why we were able to rise to the occasion so quickly, because we have been aware for some time that there are you know parts of the continent where there isn't an exam center close by where being able to offer the exam remotely would make it possible for students to have exams when they want them, where they want them from their own home, for specialist examiners to be able to conduct, you know, the HARP exams and the, right. um, the, the, the odd exams where normally if there's only one or two of them in a center, we can't send a specialist examiner. So there, there's been all these amazing um, opportunities that have grown from it. So 
I would say, um, and, and that I think are in themselves really valuable had they been um, you know, had there been no crisis, we probably, we were planning to do this um, anyway. And the crisis perhaps pushed things into a faster mode and made things come together a little faster than, than expected. Um, but I, I, I have to say that I think um, once things settle down, um, many of the things that we've learned as individuals will stay with us and life will never go back to quite the same. And certainly with remote exams, um, absolutely remote exams are here to stay. Um, we've had so many students who have just been overjoyed to be able to do their exam when they're ready and not wait for the session without having to drive to a uh, uh, to an exam center in the comfort of their homes on the piano that they know or on the instrument that they know. So there have, have been a lot of things um, about the remote exam opportunity that I think has um, helped us as an organization, but also helped teachers and students to realize that uh, we're living in a in a in a in a world where the sky is the limit, and where this opportunity to meet students in this space online, which for many young people is their space, um, and it's 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 great that we can meet them here um, to provide the opportunity for them to complete their exams online. Absolutely, from my perspective, it's been really cool as an examiner being a part of this, being able to just sit here in Boston and then do an examination out in Vancouver, where where I'd probably never end up even for an in-person exam because it's on the other side of the continent. And then, you know, the very next one do in California and then another one, you know, maybe even in Massachusetts. That's been really cool. And I remember on one of my examining trips, I think I was out in Illinois, there was a poor student who had to drive, I think, four hours for her preparatory A exam. So for eight hours in the car to do a 10 minute exam, I remember thinking it sure would be yeah. nice to do uh, an online, something online. So it's very cool that, uh, that RCM and uh, I think teachers everywhere have gained so many new skills that are gonna stick with us now, even when, uh, when this, when this uh, coronavirus crisis is over. For sure, absolutely. And, and, and you mentioned um, you know, having to drive all that distance, but there's also the factor that, that I'm sure you've come across as a teacher too, and students um, have, have experienced the sort of delay, you know, when you're ready, when things come together and you're really ready to do your exam in March, but your date isn't till late May. And then what do right. you do? You're sort of in a holding tank. And instead now, you know, we can sign up for the appointment, do the exam when we're ready, and then um, move along to that next level. Thinking of my own childhood, <laughs> there were probably a couple of years I might have caught up to my sister sooner had I been able to take those exams whenever I was ready. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Janet, this has been some really inspirational, thought-provoking conversation. You're just such an inspirational person. I love my work with you as an examiner with the program. And we all, uh, I speak for my colleagues and myself here and abroad, we all appreciate so much all of the hard work you've put in that's really impacting thousands upon thousands of lives. And it was just, um, it's just a, uh, such a pleasure to have this conversation with you today. Thank you so much again for being on the podcast. Thank you. Um, thank you so much, Jonathan, for inviting me and, and congratulations to you for all the wonderful work that you're doing. And uh, I look forward to uh, following your podcasts as well in the months to come. Thank you so much. 
And thank you to all of our listeners out there. Again, this is South Shore Piano, the official podcast of the South Shore Piano School. I'm the host, Jonathan Roberts, and on this podcast, we talk with students, parents, teachers, and other amazing leaders in the arts like Janet about exactly how music education is changing lives every day. If you enjoyed this episode, do hit the subscribe button on the podcasting app of your choice so that you're among the first to get new episodes as they're released. Or if you're checking out the YouTube version, click that subscribe button and the bell so that you're the first to find out about new published videos. We publish new episodes every Monday and Friday. Thanks so much, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time.